Welcome to Wear Who You Are, a podcast that takes the fear out of fashion and holds space for everyone to explore how to connect your authenticity with your personal style. I'm your host, Natalie Tincher, founder of BU Style, expert style strategist, and your enthusiastic friend and safe space of support. I believe that every person has a style and every style deserves a seat. With over a decade of experience working with hundreds of personal clients, I've learned a thing or two about how to help others have a healthy and holistic approach to navigating how to build a wardrobe that reflects who you are. So pull up your seat and let's get started. There's no such thing as having no style. By getting dressed every day, you inherently are making style choices and therefore you do have a style. The first step in truly understanding your personal style is discovering how it connects to who you are. How do you communicate your personality and preferences through your clothing choices? The BU Style 6 assessment creates the foundation for you to start answering that question. By taking this assessment, you will be able to see your spread of the six style personalities and how they connect to wardrobe characteristics. Read more about the BU Style 6 methodology and take the assessment by visiting www.bu.style and clicking on the Personal Clients tab. That's www.bu.style. You can also click the link in the show notes. Hello, thank you so much for coming back. I'm feeling extra, extra excited about spring weather and I just got back from a super fantastic trip to London and Paris. Um, I really love traveling and you know we didn't get to do it for a little while, but it really wakes up my sense of inspiration. It opens my perspectives and it always keeps me exploring ways to be inspired and think outside of my everyday world, which I think is really important in life. So I'll be sharing more about that trip and connecting you with some of the great brands and designers that I met here on the podcast and on my social media. So keep following and tuning in. But really quickly, in light of that trip, I just want to share a bit of British fashion history and a story of how style can be part of a greater movement. So we're going to talk about the term punk. So today, everyone knows what punk fashion is, and it's closely aligned musical movement. However, it didn't exist 50 years ago. So punk first emerged in the mid-1970s in London as an anarchic and aggressive movement. So there were about 200 young people who defined themselves as an anti-fashion urban youth street culture. This was the punk movement. It was a way for people to rebel against the upper class through artistic self-expression, and it just spread like wildfire. So in terms of the clothing, it suited the lifestyle of those who had limited cash due to unemployment and the general low income that young adults had at the time, then primarily students. um, It's what we often experience now. So punks then would cut up old clothes from charity and thrift shops. They destroyed the fabric. They refashioned the outfits in a manner that was then thought of as a crude construction technique. So they refashioned these garments to attract attention, to gain exposure. So this is really common for us now. We see it all the time in fashion. I mean, look at like ripped jeans everywhere even. But it shocked a lot of people at the time because it had never been seen before. And until that time, fashion had been treated as a material to keep as pristine and really new looking and as beautiful as possible. So punk as a widespread style and movement really took hold with the great, great designer Vivian Westwood. So Vivian's then partner, Malcolm McLaren, launched the Sex Pistols, the punk music group we all know. The group wore clothes from a shop called Sex that Vivian Westwood and McLaren had opened together in London. So that's where they sold leather, rubber fetish goods, and like bondage trousers, all the punk stuff that we know. So you see, 
what started as a movement has now been a recurring fashion statement and a way of life. So without the contributions of Westwood and McLaren, it's unlikely that punk as both a cultural and artistic period would have been preserved in the same way that it has and had the same timelessness and influence that it currently has. So long after the movement itself had fizzled out, artists would continue to draw influence from the emotions and sentiments of this initial punk movement spurred by this seed planted by McLaren and Westwood. So in recent times, fast fashion companies have been selling their version of punk to a wide audience. So those who seek the punk aesthetic can easily walk into a store and they can purchase a shirt with like the Logans, the leather jackets, all the distressed things. Options are really endless. But this fast fashion aspect of punk has been met with some cultural criticism. Let me just tell you why to give you the information. So while clothing was essential to the punk movement, the movement itself was really aimed to support and promote anti-establishment and anti-conventional means of self-expression. So with these new clothing companies and fast fashion, it's they're paying homage to the late movement, but critics are saying that they're actually degrading the punk philosophy because when they mass produce punk clothing, companies fail to capture the true spirit of the punk culture, which use DIY and handmade clothes to subvert the traditions of the commercial society. So there you go. That's a really quick in a nutshell history, but it's just another example of clothing, how clothing really just isn't clothing. It can be a conversation. It can be a movement. It can be a way of life. It's a way of self-expression. So Nyla is the founder and creative director of The Other, a clothing brand that honors the complexity of multicultural roots and the stories of where we come from. Through her beautiful, gorgeous, like amazing designs, Nyla celebrates individuality and dynamic identities boldly. So I got the privilege of getting a sneak peek of the new collection via our Zoom chat recently. And oh my God, I was like, if you could have seen my facial expressions, I was like ooing and eyeing just over Zoom. Um, we have, we're going to see the collections in person soon. So I can't wait, but they're absolutely gorgeous and vibrant. And I must add very, very wearable. So first of all, congrats on that, Nyla, and welcome. Thank you, Natalie, for having me. And you were one of a select few to see. I feel like I haven't shown this to really anyone except the folks who have been working with on working with me on the collection so closely for the last like six months. And so, or actually 10 months, it's been a long time. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited that you share in the excitement with me. It's been um, a labor of love for sure. And thank you again for the kind introduction. Oh my gosh, it's my pleasure. I mean, I love connecting with designers that we, we got on our Zoom call and instantly just like shared the same ethos. We started going on all these different tangents. So it was like, oh my God, this is going to be a great conversation. We'll get what we can in in podcast time and, you know, maybe have to keep having you back for stories. But tell me, so the collection it's so vibrant. And what I loved is the manipulation of the fabrics and also color, especially here in New York. We're in a place of everyone just like loves all black. There is some black. There's a practicality to it, but there's also just like those colors. So like, tell me about the concept. Yeah, sure. So I'll kind of take you back to like my own personal story of my journey in fashion, my journey through my own personal style and evolution. Um, so I've been working in the industry, in the fashion in industry as a designer for about 15 years. And, um, and my style has definitely changed over the course of that, you know, like, like everyone, you know, style evolves. And so I feel like in the more recent 
part of my like career, I started really getting into not only color, but um, fabric manipulation, embroideries, and that sort of thing. And that was definitely due to like the places that I had worked and their love and appreciation for color and print and texture. And so um, I really dug into my own roots, which I am Pakistani and American. I um, I grew up in both places and that definitely has an influence on my personal style. It has an influence on in how I appreciate the arts and crafts from that region, but also globally. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I'm, I come from kind of like an arts foundation. Like I've always had this really deep appreciation for the arts and in South Asian, um, like South Asian, which would refer to Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Nepal would also be considered part of that diaspora. Um, that collective kind of culture, there's so many, you know, so much within each, uh, re it's more regional, I think, um, really explores um, arts through textiles. And so that was just kind of a natural place for me to start. And um, so, yeah, the color is just, for me, color resonates, it brings joy it really is a point of self-expression um, in so many different ways and not just through, um, you know, your own individuality. It could be a representation of like your, your mood, you know, like you're feeling like flirty, you want to wear a bright color, you're feeling a little bit more, you know, like reserved or you, you want to have that moment of more serious. So like you opt for something kind of deeper and richer in color. And so I think I kind of capture that range of color um, with the, with our mood too, which, you know, we referred to our collections as moods because it really is indicative to the point in which I'm creating from is really based from like an emotional kind of like internal place and, you know, not necessarily literally ref referencing a time period or, or an era, but it's like, what am I feeling for at that time? What do I want to wear? Cause like a lot of it's like, what do I want to wear? You know, like, what is it something that I can't find out in the market that really excites me, that feels fresh. Because a lot of what I see out there in terms of fashion in the more commercial kind of, you know, there's like high fashion, right? But, you know, us who shop the stores and online and more accessible price points in like the contemporary space, for example, you know, we want things to be relatable and accessible in a way that feels like you can get a lot of wear out of. So sorry, I kind of went on a tangent, but you know, I, I kind of create from multiple different places, like in terms of like my own inspiration as an individual, my culture, like how I perceive my culture through a different lens of being mixed, but also coming from like a New Yorker perspective, working in fashion, like there's so many different kind of levels there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, I feel like I could touch more on like specific like colors, but that's sort of like the ethos of, of how I create. And I think that's so important because you think about, you know, I look at, I tell people my journey all the time. I came to New York Midwest girl and now I look at my fashion and the evolution and, you know, we are exposed to more and the more that we're exposed to, the more we're inspired. But then when you know who you are, there's sometimes you can't find it too. It's like there's a lot of trickle down um, or trickle up and it's like I've seen it. I've seen it. And I think that's what I loved about 
your collection is that it's wearable to your point, but it's something that I was like, wow, this is what I've been looking for, for me and a certain clientele that I haven't been able to find. So tell me even about then how, you know, how do you merge that? Where did you come from? Like what elements are, do you find in your designs from your really multifaceted life? My design perspective has evolved quite a lot. And I think, you know, having spent a lot of time working for other folks has really helped shape, like, what do I think about something and aesthetic? And what is, what is, who is, who am I as a designer? You know, who am I as an individual and like my personal style too? And a lot of that has changed in the last five years for me. And I think that was really due to the fact that like, um, I had big life changes in my life that really reflected like, what do I want to find that feels easy for me to wear or for a customer to wear that I can relate to because of certain life stages and, you know, a person's life where they, you know, are entering the workforce and like, you know, certain parts of their career or they're becoming a parent or, you know, like, there's so many different life stages, especially for women, you know, where our bodies are changing. And I went through that firsthand, you know, becoming a mother um, almost six years ago. And so it was like this, like, really interesting kind of introspective um, experience, like thinking about you know, me as a consumer, but also I'm thinking about me as a designer and like, what do I want to design? What feels exciting and aspirational? And so, you know, when I pull um, inspiration together for the collection and when I think about silhouettes, you know, I immediately, like, especially post-pandemic, I started designing the first collection during the pandemic. So it was really like, I was pregnant and it was a pandemic. And (laughs) that was like, that's a dangerous like combo. <laughs> oh yeah, it was with a toddler. It was quite fun. Um, <laughs> so I was, I was w- really thinking about okay, well, if I am feeling this way, so must other people. Like I am not a sweats person. I never have been. I like tried for a moment. I was like, maybe I can do like cashmere sweats. No, I just like. It's not me. I like to get dressed. I like it. It just changes my, you know, mental state. Like I feel put together. I feel confident. I feel good. And what I'm wearing, it feels, I like allows me to be focused and creative and expansive and all those things. And so, um, ease was one thing that like something that you can throw on. It doesn't require much. You look amazing. As soon as you throw it on, Maybe it has like a cinched waist, but it's elastic and, but it has like a beautiful novelty tie detail, or it has like a novelty tie dye element that makes it such a wow factor that you literally don't need much else to layer and like to style with. But like, if you are adventurous in your style, you can layer it. You can get, you know, punchy with the colors and accessories that you kind of tie with it. Um, and, um, And yeah, so ease and effortlessness is like really something that I try to hone in on in feminine, but not in a overtly girly way. Like I've never been so girly in my own personal style. And I always felt it hard to kind of find those things where it balances this like kind of fine line between masculine and feminine or just like feminine, but feels just like 
a little cleaner and but it but not in a way that's just basics you know so I kind of ride this line between like bold and feminine easy and a little polished but it can be kind of roughed up a little bit depending on your own personal style so that's sort of like all these things I think about while I'm designing and um and ease is like the biggest thing and and thinking about like a woman's body specifically like I am getting into more genderless pieces like going forward but at this point in time I'm like well what are what are the trouble like the troubleshoot areas or the areas that we always feel like a little insecure about or like or they're changing a lot those those particular areas on our bodies and where can I accentuate and make you feel just as confident and not self um you know self-aware or like insecure about that like those points so I think you know as a woman designing for women it's coming from a different place. I feel like you and I talked about this previously and we were like, well, there's like a whole different sensibility that we look for when we're trying to dress ourselves. Well, there's so many things because you talk about a postpartum and you want to take a garment. And I, you know, I know as I work with women who are taking a consideration of, well, I'm going to be pregnant and then I'm going to be nursing. And then I might be going back to work, but then I might get pregnant again. And there's all these considerations and you don't know how your body is exactly going to change, but you still want to feel beautiful. You still, you know, for those of us that don't want to put sweatpants on, um, you know, to your point in the pandemic, for me, it was a ritual of like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get dressed, even if it's in jeans and a cool sweatshirt. But I needed that ritual of saying, I'm going to get dressed, but it wasn't in the same way I was getting dressed, of course, before. But then you add on having a baby, body changing, changing, all of those considerations. It's like, I want to wear a bra. I want to wear, like, what are these things that a lot of times, you know, some designers don't think about? Um, they're not, you know, we're looking at a lot of Gen Z consumers or a certain body type. And it's like, that's not reality. And mm-hmm. real women want to wear beautiful clothes that they can Yeah, wear. absolutely. And speaking of that too, you know, we talked a little, we talked a bit about size inclusivity and how, what I loved was it wasn't even, it's like, you didn't even bring that up when we first spoke because to you, it was just, well, duh. Yeah, of course I'm going to carry an inclusive range of sizing. So tell me why that was not even a thought to you in the best way possible. Yeah, definitely. So when I started um, working through the first collection, um, I had been thinking a lot about like the previous places I've worked and how they built their extended sizing, but also like friends who work in the industry who work for brands that have extended sizing. And it's like a huge undertaking. And, and it like, for some brands, I think a lot of brands within the contemporary space or like even outside the contemporary space that were just traditional straight sizing, which is a zero through typically 12 or 14, which is kind of insane because the average American is a size 16. And so I feel like there's so much data around this. Why would you exclude a sector of the market who wants the same things as everybody else? It's not like like back in the day, plus size, you know, extended sizing was on a different floor in department stores completely separate from like the rest of 
you know, the contemporary floors or, you know, offerings that have like the exciting fashion things that everyone wants to wear. And so I'm so glad to see generally the change of mindset. But a lot of this when I'm, as I've been, you know, working in the industry and creating from a place of like, well, I can just do whatever I want. And that can be just the baseline. And I built from there is more of like, well, why, why wouldn't I offer that? You know, if I can have the resources to be able to build that, um, why, like everyone should be able to wear this. I mean, I offer up from a double zero to a 24. I've had customers in all size, basically all the sizes. And it's so exciting for me to see that, to see people who are excited about the offering that we have um, from like from the various size range. So I feel like it's, it felt like a no brainer to me in terms of like the offering and, and the silhouettes lends itself to a full spectrum of body types that can work. So, you know, I think it's, it was easy to kind of translate into, you know, a a larger size run in that regards. Yeah. And I think, you know, I love to that point that it's like, Everybody needs the clothing. Everybody wants to wear the clothing. And another point of that is I think some some brands that we'll see um, will just have a very limited part of their clothing to look more inclusive. And you just design everything just right with like, these are the sizes. <laughs> this is just what I carry. Yeah. It's not, oh, lucky you. Yeah. Here's here's the five pieces that we're carrying in, in you know, inclusive sizing. Um So I love that. Now, I want to then talk about, you know, what the industry and how things are produced so quickly in mass market and how the approach is different when you're working with small brand, independent designer, you know, exclusive fabrics. How, How do you produce and take things to market just so people understand the difference? Yeah, for sure. So um, in terms of like the industry standard, they brands typically work a year in advance and they develop collections that go, that are shown sometimes during fashion week, sometimes just during market, which is around the same time as fashion week. So six months in advance to when they deliver to their wholesale accounts. Um, and the development process can be um, a huge, huge budget and undertaking where a ton of fabrics are ordered, a ton of silhouettes are developed, things get kind of like canceled left and right, redeveloped, added, you know, there's a lot of waste that happens during the development process of a collection. That was something I was very aware of through the years that I had been working in the industry and just realizing how much waste there was before a consumer even saw a product. Um, And in addition to that, production is like a whole nother beast of, um, you know, typically, you know, the six months from market to shipping to the store is when the, the production is kind of underway. So um, bulk fabrics are purchased, the grading for, so basically the size run is developed and they kind of go into this mass production. Um, and, you know, a lot of times like brands produce an excess amount of things And they end up in off-price stores. They end up, you know, obviously going in sale um, in department stores, but there ends up being just so much stuff 
at the end of the season if they're not really being careful and smart about those decisions. So um, thinking about all of those things, I was like, you know what, I cannot do, I cannot participate in the same way as what the standard has been in the industry. And so I had started developing core styles and, um, and developing fabrics through artisans based in India. And for this particular collection that's going to be releasing in May, I was working with an artisan in Jaipur and in, in India in, in province in Rajasthan, and they do everything by hand. It's, you know, a time consuming process and it's, the results are absolutely incredible. And it's something where you just cannot waste those resources. You know, it's actual hand done. I mean, I feel like generally people don't understand that every single piece of clothing in the world is made by hand. There's no like automatic machines for things like literally a person is making your clothing. And so there's such a disconnect for consumers um, to what actually goes into making a product because it's not so simple. Um, and for me, I, I am a part of every step of the process. I've um, not just sketched, but I've created the technical package that goes to the factory. I've worked on fittings. I've worked on patterns. I've worked on every single detail from the button choice to the thread choice to the type of like fusible that goes into the cuffs. Like there's all these different design decisions that we have to make. And so coming from a place of thinking, okay, how can I produce less waste? I introduce a model that's made to order. And so um, this season, I'm introducing a small stock, a small run of inventory, which is very limited run. But then in addition to that, I have a made to order and small batch model. So that basically works very differently from the market. Like trying to talk to factories about what this model is, is very challenging because they're just used to like big orders. They just want to make the money and like, you know, they want those quantities. So, you know, as opposed to, hey, I have these smaller orders. We're we want the same integrity as those 300, 400, 500 piece orders, but we're doing it in a much smaller run. And so we're trying to take this mass production assembly line idea and bring it down to a very small scale. And so there's more time and attention and care to each piece. And we're giving the artisans, you know, obviously it's, I feel like there's more kind of flow and time kind of going into making up the products. And so everything is kind of done with a lot more care and precision and, um, and like, just, you know, it's instead of this like mass production beast, we're just bringing it down to a smaller place. And so that's where I'm able to kind of um, manage the footprint that we make on, you know, the environment and that sort of thing, where we're not just like overproducing for the sake of it. It's like being mindful about the resources we're investing in. And it's not just the resources, it's the people. It's you're investing in the resource of people and talent. And, you know, for me, I love the story of like now every time, you know, when I get the honor of having a piece from your next collection, then I will know Nyla picked every single thing in this garment. She had real women in mind. And then the person that made it, she knows. 
I could probably see their face if I asked you, could see the process. Like it's that whole story of that's really what, you know, we hear a lot of thing, buzzwords about sustainability and it's like, great, your fabric uses less water. Great ever. I think progress over perfection is always amazing, but I like, I like everybody to know really with the story behind it. And you just told us beautifully how your story is really from touch point to touch point you're behind it and people that you know are behind it. Yes. I I have, I'm so fortunate to have great partners in India and even folks that I'm working with here to develop the patterns and really just make sure that everything fits the way that it should and is made in the highest quality possible and, and not sacrificing like any sort of like, you know, um, livelihood or, um, fair wages or any of that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just like trying to at least approach this in a slow and careful way that considers as much of the outside factors as possible. Like what I'm able to control, I, I, I will do so. It's so human. It's like, you know, in this world of digital click, 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 I love human there's a lot of humans behind all of this and all, your brand and everything that you do and that's really why we're here to connect with humans and to have connection um, speaking of can you tell us a little bit about that gorgeous tie-dye process yeah it's insane um so i found this dyer based in jaipur which i mentioned and this particular dyer family has been doing this through the generations for 150 years. To think about that for a moment, like 150 years to pass down a trade through, fam- you know, like grandfather to son, you know, to father to son, to the, like, you know, down, 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 like the generations, they, um, they have this very special technique called Lahiria tie-dye. And it is a very involved process, which includes like very skilled labor to do this. Like not anyone can like, I don't know if I could even attempt to do this because it has such precision. And, and at the same time, there is this natural irregularity about it that I absolutely love. I mean, I love tie-dye. Um, generally, but I was like, I want to push outside, push the idea of tie-dye outside of what people think of tie-dye, you know? Um, And so it creates this beautiful stripe technique or appearance. And it's basically like, it's tied with string. And depending on how many colors are introduced, they have to open up the fabric and retie it to get the resist to add in the colors. And so it's like a really intensive dyeing process where they're with their hands in the dye, like, you know, just like getting the color saturated to get the richness of the color, which is like, you will see eventually when the lunch comes up, like how vibrant these colors are. Like it is insane. Like when I, I got in swatches from my development process, I was just like, so, so excited that color just like it reads so different than like a print. And recreating this would not be the same thing. And so each piece is unique because it's literally hand-tied and untied. And and when they open it up, it has this like diagonal stripe. Another 
tie-dye technique is that's similar um to that that's still considered laharia is like as they're um I, I feel like they pull it on bias and then they tie it in a certain way that it creates like a wave or a zigzag pattern. And so I have that coming up in my second drop, which is like a two-color technique. And it's it's um, it's mind-blowing. It's my favorite. It's my favorite um, like pieces in the collection. And um, yeah, it's just, I got so excited about the his, historical context. Like I am a bit of a history nerd. Like I, and, and when it comes to textiles and like my culture, like I just like nerd out. And I, I love to learn about each kind of like regional craft. And so this is very traditional for Jaipur within a certain like family, like or families that know this technique. So it's not just like any rando person there too would also know. It's like very skilled. Um, and so it's not something that can be easily recreated at all um, unless it's like done by these individuals. And so they're a small, it's small run, family run operation based there and everything is done by hand. And so they've done the most intricate things like and. Um, they make a lot of saris and saris are basically like six yards of fabric and you drape it in different ways. And it's so, so beautiful and elegant. But I was like taking that context and let's recontextualize, you know, what they've seen and what we've seen and kind of create something that I feel like could be so beautiful to wear, you know, not just over there, but over here and globally, you know. Um, and so I think about um, like cultural codes and um, we can talk more about that um, in a bit too, but how can we like flex these different aspects of ourselves too? Like I think about a lot, that a lot um, in regards to my own personal style too. Yeah. And then two things, cause I really want to get into the cultural coding. Cause I will admit when um, I learned of you and your brand, that's where that, that term became more familiar to me. And I was like, oh yes, this is, this is brilliant. This is a brilliant way of explaining it. But first I want to back up to what one thing I love is the, you're using a, a traditional technique and then innovation comes when you're using what's modern, what you need. So I think innovating isn't creating something totally new. It's using all of these different spaces and bringing it together for something that we've never seen before. And that's modern. Um, and you'll see it in the designs um, online and when the drop comes. But now I do want to get to this like cultural coding. Tell me, tell all of us what that is. Sure. Yeah. So when I feel like I'll kind of backtrack a little bit. Sorry. I'm like a bit of a storyteller. <laughs> no, this is, um, I love this. Yeah. So a little context to like how I started thinking about this differently. Um, so as I mentioned previously, I am mixed, I'm mixed race. And I grew up in two different countries, very different cultures, very different ways of dressing. Um, yes, I did wear like my Western clothes there, but I styled it differently. And here I wore like, I feel like I had a different wardrobe for here. And so I grew up in that context of like, switching, almost like code switching between the environments I was in. And so I never really thought anything of that until later in life. And like, um, like I was reflecting back to when I was younger and I was like in high school 
And half of my high school, I was in, in Pakistan and half I was in Connecticut where my, my mother grew up, was born and raised. And I was also born and raised there. And I would wear kurtas with jeans to my high school in Connecticut, but I would also wear that in, in, in Pakistan too. And I didn't really think anything of it. Like here, I was kind of like, F the system. I don't care about trends. Like I'm going to wear what I want to wear. Like kind of that rebellious, angsty teen vibe. <laughs> Very much so. But it was just like my own personal style. It was like, I was probably like looked at like some weirdo, like who is this girl wearing? Like, I don't even know what this is. And, but I just didn't care. I just was like, this is who I am. This is like representing what I feel for and like my culture. Um, hey, and guess what? It's what you're doing now, creating your own line. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so, which is really funny because I never thought like my younger self would like influence my adult self in that way until I had my first child and I started like really reflecting on my like my identity who am I like how do I see myself how much I've always been kind of taken I've looked at myself through the lens of others and so I was like wait wait I cannot do that because I've always been othered by random people by other people and so in the sense that like, I never felt the sense of belonging to either the United States and the culture here and Pakistan. I was always considered an outsider there. I didn't fit in physically and I had an American accent and I didn't necessarily dress like how all the other kids did too. I didn't know the language, um, definitely not fluently, but knew a little bit. And then here, I just like, in the context, until I moved to New York, where I felt like I could be more authentically who I am, um, I never felt like that too. So there was this consist, like constant tension internally of my identity. And not until much later, I started thinking about, okay, like, can I be all of these things in one and not halves of a whole? Um, because I'm not halves of a whole. I am one person and all of these things kind of meld together organically and not just my cultural identity or faith or, you know, gender, but like, you know, all the different roles in my life. You know, I am career oriented. I'm a designer. I'm also a mother. Like I, you know, like I'm a friend, I'm a sister, like I'm like all these things, you know, besides just, you know, one label. And so I started thinking about kind of not just the cultural codes, but like this idea of flexing identity. And, you know, it was something that my friend and I were talking about and we came up with this term called code flexing. And it was, it felt like the right representation of how I see identity, but in multifaceted ways. So like in this multi-dimensional kind of sphere versus this flat, boxes like you have to check a box of who you are like the other came from this idea of like um the government forms and filling out like your racial background and I always checked other because there was nothing that reflected my identity and then the persistent kind of you know messaging that I had gotten growing up through adulthood of like not quite fitting into either cultural kind of affinities that I had belonged to and so I kind of felt like in this other space and so um, I've met so many other folks who identify with that being mixed or not you know and 
and also just this idea of like this multi-dimensional identity and you are more than just one label you know and how can you flex that through your own personal style through how you want to present yourself because you know believe it or not like fashion affects everybody how you present yourself is a reflection of who you are whether you want to try or not you know it's like jeans and t-shirts still reflects who you are versus like I want to think about the outfit I'm putting together and curate it carefully or like have the nods to identity or like you know like still have kind of my personality in it but also reflects all these other touch points of who I am and so I started thinking about like the cultural codes but also code flexing and how code flexing is kind of this like alternative perspective to code switching where that feels like a, a light, like a light switch. I think of a light switch of turning it on and off. Like, okay, I'm in this setting. I am this way. I'm in that setting. I'm that way, but I am still the same person, you know? So can I be the same person and just flex in and out of like certain aspects of who I am? And so that's really where that concept kind of um, came from. And, and it was like, honestly, it was like inspired from my like 16 year old self. <laughs> But it's true because that's really, I mean, and that's where the style comes in is some days I'm like, you know what? I do want to be more comfortable because I'm just feeling that need. And then some days I'm like, you know what? Like last weekend I said, I want to look fab every night. I want to flex that like cosmopolitan going out New York magnetic side. And, you know, for me, we use style personalities through what I do of it's that same idea as we're all a unique spread and depending on our mood, the day, you know, the setting we're in, the season, the role in life we're in, it's all fluid. And so I like that idea of code flexing because which muscles are you flexing? How are you bending today? But it's not turning one thing off in order to turn something else on. It's like I'm signaling maybe something a little different, but it still represents me because we are all... I mean, we should be evolving. We should be multifaceted mm-hmm. and multidimensional and curious and be part of our different stories. And what just happened to me an hour ago now is like in my DNA. Absolutely. And- yes. I think a lot of times for women, we conform to the spaces career-wise, like in the work environments, in, you know, in the roles in our lives, like, and I wasn't I I just felt like I I couldn't do that I couldn't do that anymore like I feel like I I used to really think about okay what space am I going to be in what should I what how should I present myself to be taken seriously or to you know to be presented a certain way or to be taken like you know I I feel like like depending on who's in the room um in the mix of folks I would then think about okay how do I need to like behave, act, dress, like all these things. And I feel like it's not something I want to do anymore. And really just like embracing my authentic self in a way that just feels like this is me and flexing those different aspects, you know, and I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. And I love that that's how you've created. And, you know, when I, was able to see what I saw of the collection, that spirit could be intertwined the way we talked about, okay, well, today this top could be worn with jeans. It also could be really 
pretty over a skirt if you wanted to feel more airy and light or if you want it to be easy and comfortable it can be paired this way and so if you want the black you can have the black if you want bright you want bright but there's still a there's still a through line to it it's not it's there's still an identity to it I think and that's where I like this like the code flexing is it's still part of your identity and it's just that thing that says like oh yeah that's totally a Nyla way of doing that or that's totally a Natalie and maybe people can't fully identify why, but it's just how you present yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because it's you. Um, Oh, I love that. This has been such a great conversation. Um, I want to have you back. I want to talk more about the collection, your evolution, how things are going, um, all the fun stuff. But um, I think for now, I want to wrap up with some fun little quick questions just to get to know you a little better and hear from you. Yeah. Are you ready? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I will try. It's um, a rapid fire answer. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I always like, you know, I'm, I'm a talker. So slow is fine. Uh, what's your favorite type of garment to design? I think my go-tos are dresses. That's just like my sweet spot. Are you an early bird or a night owl? I think I'm a late bird, but I feel like I'm not, I'm struggling on that too. So I'm kind of like, Nothing right now. You're an ambivert. I would say an more ambivert. I can flex between the two, as we were talking about earlier. You're a code flexing bird. I'm a code flexing bird. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, what are your personal favorite colors to wear? Um, I love color. I'm not wearing color today. I mean, um, this is like gray and white, but I love. Yellow. Yellow just makes me happy. I love red. Red is also one of my favorite colors to wear. It just looks good on everybody too. I feel like red looks good on everybody. It's one of the universally flattering colors and it's just such a great way to just like show up in a room. Like I'm here. What do you do to unplug from the world? So the times that I do unplug, um, I love podcasts, um, but they're usually like kind of industry related so maybe that's not really counting definitely hanging out with my kids they really pull me out from my my work zone and making things with them so my daughter I've made jewelry with her I'm teaching her how to sew and like going into their worlds because their worlds are so fascinating and they create these like alternate realities of like joy and and that there's just like no worries and no cares and no responsibilities which it really just takes me out of my own you know responsibilities as an adult um and business owner and you know all of that and so yeah I feel like that's kind of like the the go-to daily how I unplug myself. Yeah, it's so it's so hard to unplug as a business owner. I hear you. It's I really just wanted to know if you had any great tips for me. <laughs> All right, who was your biggest style inspiration growing up? I have designers that I was just like, "Oh my god, I love." But I don't think I ever had like style icons. But designers that like when I was first kind of like introduced into fat in the, into the fashion world, I had a subscription to Harper's Bazaar when I was a teenager and it was like my, it was a, sorry, I, I wasn't like a Vogue 
girl necessarily. I was a Harper's Bazaar girl. Give me fashion. I was a Harper's fashion. Bazaar girl. All with fashion. I was to- I yeah. was totally a Harper's Bazaar girl. And like that yeah. was my time. Like, no, I'm a Harper's Bazaar girl. That's so funny. Okay. Yeah. I was like, give me fashion. I don't want to read all this other stuff. Like, I want to see like the guts of fashion. So um back then which was like maybe early 2000s, Tom Ford. Tom Ford for Gucci, Tom Ford for Yves Saint Laurent, my like epitome all time. I mean, like aesthetically, like I I think I loved what he did with the brand. Um, And Oscar de la Renta um, was another Prada. I feel like Prada is just, she's just still my icon. She's just, yeah, Mucha, how can she not just be perfection? Yeah, so I feel like you know between Oscar, her, and um, who did I say? I Tom. said Tom Ford. Yeah, I feel like Tom Ford was just like the like absolute like dream. Like I don't know, he was kind of like on this pedestal for me as like a young young person aspiring to be in a designer to do something so radical and so like pushing the envelope and um and risk taking and I thought that was so exciting. I love that. That's a great answer. Uh what place is next on your travel bucket list? There's so many places. I would love to go to Peru. Um they also have like a really big like fashion manufacturing kind of situation but like the culture and textiles and history. There also Oaxaca and Mexico. I've been dying to go there and also Mexico City because of the arts and culture. I'm very I love to travel, but I think, you know, the last few years have been challenging for obvious reasons. And so now I just I want to immerse myself in that much more so. So those are like two places that I would love, love, love to go to. Those are great places. All right. Last question. What is your ultimate wear who you are outfit? So a corta, which I, this is one of the ones I'm wearing now. I designed in my first collection. I pretty much wear it weekly. It is like the most easy go-to piece because I feel like I'm wearing a button-down shirt. Um, it's super chill and I can wear it in a million different ways. And then I love either wearing it with uh, like a bootcut jean or I have like wide leg trousers, like pleated front, like wool, you know, like kind of tailored trousers that I love to wear with that. Um, and I, I typically dress like on the daily pretty minimally. Um, and so, you know, I'm a pants girl too. Even though I love to design dresses, I'm such a pants girl. I love like good pant, good trouser. Give me the widest leg pant. I will love it. <laughs> you know, so I'm like also about those white leg pants. <laughs> Oh, they're so, and they're so fun and slouchy. It's like for me in a certain way, they're almost like my version of a sweatpant. Like today I'm wearing a wider jeans. I'm like, oh, I need, I need my sweats. So it's going to be a wide jean. It's just like totally easy, easy, comfy. Yeah. I love that. Um, Yeah. All right. Where can we find you online? So everyone can check out all of your beautiful things. Thank you. Um, so our website is theother-collection.com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. Um, I'm, I exist also on Instagram. Like my personal account is my first and last name, Nyla Hassan, N-Y-L-A-H-A-S-A-N. Um, and the other is um, the T-H-E underscore, there's a zero, T-H-E-R 
Um, and the zero was kind of a nod to the the O slash that we have in the logo. So I know it's not usually like it's a little trickier, but um, you can definitely find us in both places. We'll put all of it's in the show notes so you can click on it, follow, and we'll be posting this conversation on Instagram too. So everyone can follow and check it all out. Thank you so much, Nyla. I had the best time having you here. Um, I can't wait to carry on the conversation, to share more of your beautiful work with everyone and actually see it in person, hopefully really soon. I know we're coordinating that. Yes. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. This was like such a wonderful conversation and I can't wait to show you the collection in person and, and for more conversations with you on style. Oh, I know we have so much to talk about. I feel like when, you know, you say you nerd out, I think we both nerd out in our ways and then it comes together in this great Venn diagram of like a story and who knows where it's going to go. So I love it. Um, And I just want to thank all of the readers again for tuning in. And I certainly learned more than I even expected. Um, I just know that the more I see the world, humanity, myself in new ways, and I think Nyla really echoed this, that we learn so much more about ourselves. We can flex more about who we are through our style. I think this also applies to food, to entertainment. It's like everything in life. So today I'm going to tell you all to explore who you are and wear it. Lean into your new learnings and discoveries. Don't limit your thinking to cultural or self-made borders you may have you may find that the new discoveries may help you be an even more youer version of you and flex those codes in new ways. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining another Where Who You Are Wednesday. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Be sure to follow along for episode news, updates, and other bonus style insights on Instagram through my business account at BUStyle. That's the letters B, U, and Style. Or my personal account at Natalie underscore Tincher. And don't forget to subscribe to Where Who You Are wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again. and See you next time.